Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Kassenham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Fiona Morgan, Director of Purpose and Impact for SailGP. Now, I've grown up sailing, I raced at a collegiate level, and I've continued to race throughout my life. And growing up, I would watch the America's Cup competition, which comes around once every four years, and I would always hope I could watch the best sailors compete against each other more often. Now, this is where SailGP comes in. Powered by nature, SailGP is the most exciting and impactful racing series in the world, and Fiona is the brains behind the impact strategy that is making a huge splash across the sustainability industry. Now, let's dive into the conversation with Fiona. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, I'd love to start with your background. I mean, you're, you're Scottish. Were you, were you born in Scotland? What's, what's kind of your life story? How did you end up where you are now? Oh, gosh, I don't think we've got long enough for my life story, do we? But yeah, I'm Scottish originally, so very proud to be Scottish. And I suppose sport is who I am. I think sport has been part of my life from day one, my family's life, and just a passion for me. And I was a failed tennis player. I'm not going to lie. I was I kind of gave up full time and as a teenager, um, I wasn't good enough, which was hard, but I took that decision then that I wanted to work in sport because I loved it so much. You know, I couldn't let it go. And so then I did a law degree and decided pretty much I wanted to be Jerry Maguire. You're probably too young for that. <laughs> I totally remember Jerry Maguire. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be an agent. That was it. So I did a law degree and then I'm like, I'm going to the States. And so I started my career with this really kind of uh, strange vision that I wanted to to be an agent and kind of be involved in sport, but use sport for good because I believed it kind of is great for people, build skills, it's life skills. And so that's how it all started. And I worked in tennis in Florida. That was my first job. I worked for a, a famous tennis player, Chris Everett, who was my first boss. I mean, imagine having such an amazing female boss. And so formidable, but amazing. I learned so much from her. So that's how I got into sport, really. What was it like, that transition to say, you know what, I, I'm going to let go of the sport that I've, I've loved, I've done for so long, but I'm actually going to, I'm still going to be involved in sport. What is it about sport that's so fascinating for you? Oh, gosh, I just, I think it does have this power to unite and it has no barriers, you know, like everyone plays sport and it connects people. It doesn't matter. You can be so different and you can have different views and, and it just it's like it's really magical it's like nothing else team sports especially and I just think there's got so many benefits to it and I'm going to kind of it's like the Mandela quote and I quote it all the time and but it is true like it, it unites people it talks a language that other other people can it talks to young people you know it kind of breaks boundaries and barriers and it does it really does mm-hmm. I think if you I just saw that value and I really it's part of who I am in my life and I'm just passionate about sport and I think it's so important and it plays a critical role in the world we live. And I think climate, we're showing that, that it's a sector that we know will really help the planet. And that's why I'm excited mm-hmm. to kind of be able to showcase it. But yeah, it's addictive sport. It's magical. Mm-hmm. And so what was it like on your first job? I mean, were you kind of like, I got this, I understand the sport, so therefore I kind of understand the behind the scenes? Or was it like drinking from a fire hose, like learning experience? <laughs> oh my goodness, this is amazing. I think every day is a school day. So I think you need to go in with a bit of confidence, but I just love, I'm a bit of a sponge. I love learning and I love challenging things. And so my first job was an eye opener, you know, cause I was working, I was very lucky to have a really great job working at IMG for a very, like one of the most famous tennis players in the world. I was exposed very early on to some incredible deals and events. And she had her own women and children's hospital and drug abuse foundation. So I was working on some incredible projects and so I felt very lucky and I was just absorbing it and learning it and trying to get every opportunity I could. If there was something going on, like, I'll be involved. I think that's how I started. I've always kind of approached life like that. You've got to take opportunities and do things differently. And that's how I am. What would you say you learned most from that first experience? God, that's a great question. Yeah. What did I learn most? <laughs> it's really that you have to sacrifice. So like, I know this sounds sad, but you know, as an athlete, you really have to sacrifice. And I, I learned you can't have it all. You really have to figure out what's important to you. And some things you can't, you can't do it all. So mm-hmm. if you want a big career, if you want to do X, Y, and Z, you have to sacrifice certain things in your life. So I learned that. And I learned you have to be slightly selfish sometimes around what you want to achieve and really kind of singly focus on it. Like as an athlete as well, you, if you want to mm-hmm. do something, you can't do 10 things. You've got to focus on that thing and drive it and be passionate and just go for it. Yeah, that is that mentality of an athlete, which I think we can learn a lot from. 
Did you kind of have that journey of, I would imagine most athletes that I've ever met, and I'm an athlete myself too, like generally you can be pretty talented at a lot of things. And so you can like, I can do this, I can do that. What was that process like for you to kind of hone in on what you're doing now? I mean, cause you kind of had to kind of try different things and then go, no, I'm going to go all in on this and push my chips in. I think everything you do in life kind of adds up to be who you are. So I think I've been quite instinctive in my career. I've been really lucky to get, I shouldn't say lucky. Women say lucky. I'm not lucky. I've made my path and I've taken every opportunity and gone with my gut and kind of jumped into jobs and everything I've learned, I think has made me who I am today and to be able to do the job I do. I've got a lawyer background. I've worked in talent management. I've worked in kind of charitable foundations. I've worked in brand. I've worked in marketing. I've worked in comms. I've worked in commercial. All of those elements make me actually, I think, be able to understand the new world of sustainability and actually drive it forward because it can't be siloed. It can't sit in this place that's too difficult to understand and scientific and in the corporate team. It needs to be relatable. And actually, I think it needs to have commercial viability, you know, Mm -hmm. and be communicated properly. And so actually, I, I... I just think all these things you do add up to make you what you want. And I think I've always, I'm very passionate about what I do. And I've been lucky to be able to kind of hone that passion into delivering good things. So I suppose I think that answers your question, go with your gut and it all adds up. And, you know, I feel like that's how I've got here today. And you always go, why am I doing this job? And now I realize (laughs) I'm like, that job gave me the skills that now actually are really helping me do this. So again, just, I suppose, owning your, your career path and believing in it and following it. I love that. I think that's so important because I think a lot of times when people are kind of in that, you know, what am I doing? They're kind of like, well, this isn't going to serve me, but it's all part of the path. It's all a learning experience. If you can learn every step of the way, you can get to ultimately where you want to go if you trust your gut. But if you're too prescriptive, I remember coming out of uni and everyone's like, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer. And now they're doing some completely random job. So I think maybe I was a bit open-minded. I loved sport and I knew I wanted to work in sport, but I wasn't like, I want to be a sports lawyer or agent. I thought agent, but then I was kind of open to what roles in sport. Even now, like you have to be open to opportunities. And so I suppose I wasn't too specific. And I think that helps you, like you said, learn in your journey because they mm-hmm. all add up. All the experience is good. That's probably my my advice would be, you know, to people starting out, I always say, just kind of go with your instinct and, mm-hmm. you know, do jobs that you're passionate about that, that give you something. Don't always do it for the money or the title or what you think it's going to give you because that I don't think always ends well. No, definitely not. So how did you end up being interested in sustainability and what's kind of that path been like for you? Because sport and sustainability usually don't go well together or haven't gone together. That's been a recent emergence, I'd say. Yeah. And so starting in my first job, I think obviously working for Chrissy, she had a drug abuse foundation and a women and children's hospital. And as part of my job in her commercial team, we ran her charitable foundation and her events. She had an event and we raised, you know, millions of pounds a year to fund all of these great projects. And I think that was probably one of the first times I realized that sport can do more and how important it was and and meeting the people's lives who were changing. I worked there for years and I got to know the families and that connection. I think I realize you have a responsibility, you know, and sport does. It it has to do more than just be sport. So I probably, that was the first time I really felt that. And I really kind of enjoyed giving back. That's something that I think fulfilled kind of me as a person. And then, you know, I've had a a very, very career, like I said, and I've worked for sponsors, I've worked for talent, and I worked on all of their kind of charitable, working with Save the Children, working with all the causes they wanted to support. And again, I really love doing that. And I, saw the benefit and you know for a Formula One driver taking two days out of his driving career the impact he could have and that was probably the start of the journey and I think it really got probably big around well the Olympics I worked on the Olympics for Westfield who were a big sponsor and I worked a lot with the IPC and again I just felt this this connection to to sport giving back and I wasn't sure, like you said, where my career was going to go. You're like, what does that mean for me? You know, it, can I commercialize that? Can I make that a career? And like you said, it didn't really probably, people didn't connect sport and sustainability back then in 2012. And then my job at Sky, working probably for, I would say, one of the leading media companies, you know, in sustainability, that's where it kind of all came together, right? Because they, as a media company, you know, they're owned by Comcast now and NBC, but they felt this responsibility as a media company to do more. And they position it really well. I love it. They say seeing the bigger picture. So they don't say we're doing CSR or all these kind of more sustainable kind of closed words. It's called the bigger picture team. 
Mm. So seeing the bigger picture, and it was named because the founder or the founders said we need to do more and see beyond our business. And so we want to see the mm. bigger picture and, do, and give back. And so I worked in that team. And, and what they do is they know that they can use sport to deliver messages. So they know that the power of sport. So be sustainable, figure out our problems. But then how can we utilize some of our rights holders or our events to actually engage fans? And it's amazing the results that, that we had. I mean, I did an anti-plastics campaign. I did a huge employee charity engagement campaign using sports. And then we launched a, a net zero campaign at the end. And we always pick cricket, football to drive that audience engagement. And that's where that, I think, like you said, all of my experience and the connections came. And then, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I felt I was quite unique in my approach because I tried to be relatable and I tried to talk in campaigning terms and yeah, really think of the consumer and think about the small changes we can make and how you kind of approached it that way. And then obviously CLGP came along and was this really exciting, dynamic, challenger sport in sailing. You know, I'll tell you a bit about it later. And and the power of being involved in new sport and being able to set the agenda and make it sustainable from like the get-go was so mm-hmm. exciting. And this is the new world of sport. And I'm excited that we're at the forefront because every sport needs to be like this. But when you're new, it's great to be able to formulate it at the beginning. Yeah. So, you know, it's easier than a big traditional sport changing. And so so that's where I am today. And I really hope there's more of me in sport because that will really help save the world. But you won't find many directors of purpose and impact. You know, the good thing is they're hiring, the Premier League are hiring ahead of sustainability over here in the UK, which that's big, mm-hmm. right? That is big. Yeah, footballers sustainability and formula one have a sustainability plan so sport is getting there but we need to do you know go quicker and so yeah i feel very privileged and very excited about what we're doing here at CLGP. yeah and what do you think is that connecting piece for the consumer so for like a successful campaign is it communicating it in the right way to the consumer where it's approachable is it just kind of putting it out there and then the consumers kind of push back and you know you start the conversation Where, where do you find that you're having success on communicating the message and kind of educating people because in my experience you're not really necessarily going to change someone's mind if they think completely differently all you can do is kind of show them another way and then allow them to explore it yeah I think there's a little bit of a whole kind of awareness people people don't even realize that climate change is going to affect them so I think there's like a real basic and a lot of the if you look at the demographic demographics of sports fans and a lot of you know I'm not being this is based on insight a lot of our, the male kind of football fans don't actually understand the interconnection of climate how it affects them why plastics a climate crisis so you know we always started on the basics right we looked at the audience and thought what do they know and what can we tell them to help like you said open their minds so it's a bit like just educate what the climate crisis means how you can relate it to them in a football capacity. And then, like you said, hopefully they'll then go and, you know, read on and then give them those channels. So have like a website and collateral and at ground activation or reusables or or, or give them some tools to help them on their journey. But I think we always started, like you said, to change behavior is really difficult. And we felt our job is raising issues, raising awareness, and then giving people tools like our customers as a media company, we give them sustainable tools or as a sport, you know, telling our fans top tips of what they can do. But that's kind of our job. And that's how I think you should approach it. But it depends on the fan and the demographic really and the the problem you're trying Mm -hmm. to solve. You've always got to look at it from that angle. How is it for the business side of, you know, you take the Premier League, you're taking Formula One. I mean, sale GP, I'd say is a little bit not easier, but you're starting with the foundation. Is it risky as a sport to go, look, we're going to go this direction. We're going to commit to it. Is that kind of a risk for them? Or is it something that they're like, look, we have to do this? Well, I think I would say we have to do this, but no, I I don't think it is a risk. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got to be brave and have a vision and try and get it. No one's perfect. You know, we're not Mm -hmm. perfect by any means, but we're trying really hard. It's all about commitment. So as a new sport, yes, it's easier. And because we're sailing, we're on the water. And we started with this kind of vision in mind to make sailing better, to make Mm -hmm. our sport better. That's around inclusivity, to make a better planet, environmental sustainability as a sports league. So we started out with that in the DNA, which Mm -hmm. is good. And obviously being on the water, you know, the ocean is our racetrack. That is Mm -hmm. quite helpful because athletes just get it, you know, and it's relatable for consumers to understand why we're caring so much about the environment. But I wouldn't say it's risky. I think it's brave. But actually, Mm -hmm. I think everyone needs to be a bit braver with with climate change and the problems we're facing Mm -hmm. because we can't stick our head in the sand anymore. And as long as you're committed and you you have a path and you're open and honest about that, I think that's what you need to do. The problem is people who are too scared to get criticized don't do anything. And we've kind of passed that. We've We've passed that time in the world. Yeah, definitely. So how did you get interested or involved with Sail GP? I mean, where did all of this 
I mean, sailing is a, is a very unique sport. I'd say globally, it's a little bit more popular in Europe, Australia, that kind of area. U.S., it's kind of, eh, America's Cup, everybody now looks at sailing, but then after that, they're kind of like, eh. So uh, wait, LGC is coming to the States soon. Yeah, I know, I know. Chicago. So then, then you're going to, like, you know, you'll be... You'll know how great we are. But no, you're right. It's, sailing is a niche sport. And what we're trying to do is broaden the appeal by GP is, is, I would say, a new format. So it's obviously the fastest boats on water, foiling boats, powered by nature, nation versus nation, global league. And what's what's amazing is the boat's the same. So it's like an even playing field. So it's not like, you know, other sailing championships or Formula One where, you know, you have the money, you can have technical innovation. These are the best sailors. This shows who's the best of the best. So you know, it's short format, it's in stadium. So it's, it is that kind of new new side of sailing to get people involved, like racing fans. Like I, I'm not a sailor, no way, mm-hmm. but it's really <laughs> exciting to watch. You know, there's crashes, there's, you know, drama, there's rivalries because there's one boat. So it's really about showing who's the best sailor. So yeah, I think it is super exciting. And how I found SailGP is I worked a little bit at Sky, we sponsored a boat involved ocean race. So we sponsored a, a campaigning boat, which was called Turn the Tide on Plastic. And that boat was all about obviously educating people that plastic's an issue. And then obviously I, I got to know the sailing community and, and the connection with the environment. And I was really impressed about what sailing as a sport was doing. And then SailGP approached me and it went from there. And I think it was really important that they had the vision and commitment that I wanted and we were able to form it. And I have an amazing CEO who really kind of supports everything we do because you need leaders to believe in in what they're doing and make the right decisions. And so here I am still going. And I think we've set a really good foundation, but we've got lots more to do and lots more mm-hmm. to inspire other sports, I suppose, to learn from us and hopefully adopt some of the brilliant practices we're doing, like the Impact League, which is probably my proudest moment here at LGP. Yeah, let's dive into a little bit of the Impact League because, I mean, I, I would love, you know, to educate a little bit more on kind of what the boats are and the format and that kind of stuff. But Impact League, let's dive into a little bit of that because I want to hear all about that. Yeah, so you talk about being brave. I think that's brave. So when we kind of set up, when I came into this role, we set the vision is we do want to be the most sustainable purpose-driven sport, global sports league. And that's hard. But then you have to think about when you approach things, what would that league do like what decisions they'd make and I think we felt you know sustainability like we said is a bit siloed so we're a sport so we need to kind of embrace sustainability into the way we operate so we want to redefine performance because our athletes shouldn't just win on the water and that's success and so we kind of came up with this mad concept which we then delivered which is two leagues so there's one obviously for racing and then one for sustainability so two podiums at the end of the season and it's all based on behavioral science. So we know that athletes will engage with it because they all want to win, which Mm -hmm. obviously is is the right thing to do in sport. But that's brave. We're the only sport in the world that really kind of taken that step to do that. And it's a lot of work. You know, it's 10 sustainability criteria and that's social and environmental sustainability. So it's really understanding inclusion as well as the carbon footprint and the way teams are operating, the food they eat, how they travel, all of the big strategic decisions we all need to think about in our life, all based on what we need to to change. And then we audit it. So we have every race as an impact league and a race on the water. And we audit it with an external auditor. Like it has to be robust because the athletes, you know, they love to complain and contest, which (laughs) I think is great. Shows they care. They literally will be texting me when the results come out, my phone blows up by the team CEOs or drivers asking, you know, questions about how did they get more points than me? We want to contest what that (laughs) team did. That shows engagement. They care. Mm -hmm. And they've changed their mindset to realize that they need to do better. So, you know, it is a, it's a brilliant concept and one that we hope inspires other sports to do the same. Because imagine the IOC, the Olympics, or another sport had a podium, even for one thing. Imagine you said to a team, right, eat more sustainably Mm -hmm. or don't use plastic. And then they focus on that one thing. We know that would change behavior quicker and mindsets than anything mm-hmm. else. And then obviously you were then engaging your fans. So when we do the Impact League, it's not just about our athletes and us operating more better as a league. It's about them engaging their fans. So there's a whole section about using their voice. So they get points for using their voice and collaborating. So they engage their oh, fans in top that. tips or innovations they're doing. And so again, that's getting sustainability, using sport, getting it out to kind of educate. So we really believe in the model and yeah, we're excited. It's only one season, so it's growing and uh, yeah. we really want to get others 
to do the same. But I will cry at the Impact League podium in San Francisco because it's such a historic moment. And I feel mm-hmm. like we're brave. And the team that's holding up the Impact League trophy, like that to me is is a big thing. And yeah, it's a big thing, a big moment in sport. And I do hope that I think other sports will will adopt it. You know, I have a lot mm-hmm. speaking to me asking me how to do it so we will share our learnings because you know there's no winner here but the planet so we want every sport to kind of do this it's not something just for sale gp that's incredible so how did you guys come up with the criteria of of what to measure so you've got to base it on your strategy the problems Mm -hmm. we're trying to solve as a league because it's not there's no Mm -hmm. point doing it it just like it's kind of just a vehicle just to talk about so we looked at our, we're ISO 2012 compliant, which is like a management system to be sustainable in our events. And so we looked at where our challenges are, what we need to focus on. And obviously the big thing is reduction of our footprint as a league and our teams. And so that's how we started the criteria is looking at our strategy, our focus areas, and then what can the teams deliver? What's in their control to deliver against? And we went from there. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have all of them, but I suppose some of the most exciting criteria are innovation. There's a whole section on and them trying to help us solve problems. So say on the water, our lovely foiling boats are powered by nature. And then there's batteries on there that are powered by a Tesla container. So obviously by solar, but then the boats around them. So the guest chase boats or the um, team chase boats or the media boats or the helicopter, they're unsustainable. So at the moment, that innovation is not there in the marine industry. And so, you know, we've asked the teams to help us solve these problems, find suppliers, think of efficiencies you could do on the water. And it's been great. Imagine you have all these brains now solving this problem, not just me and my team. And so that's been the one of the USPs and unique nature of the Impact League. And yeah, we talk about, you know, the small innovations like we've taken cable ties off our boats, which has saved a huge mm. amount of plastic. If one mm. team do it, all the teams adopt it. So yep. again, it's kind of that collaborative approach of the Impact League. And we all know small changes add up. And so that right. kind of um, that that mindset has been really interesting but you've got to base the criteria on delivering impact will it do something different is it helping you solve a problem so that's how we kind of started it going from that way on and and yeah I think there's a whole criteria in collaboration because I think again there is no competitivism in sport in sustainability we need to all collaborate so that Mm -hmm. section was supporting our teams to go to other sports so say our British team you know what other British sports can you go to or our US team they partner with Red Bull what Red Bull other teams can you inspire with the Impact League or can you collaborate mm-hmm. and learn from? So try to get us to go outside our sport and kind of share mm-hmm. learning. So, you know, we reward collaboration, which is a sustainable development goal and actually something that I think is not done enough and we need to do mm-hmm. more of. So there's some of my favorite. I mean, I, I do. I'm such a passionate about all of the Impact League, but <laughs> they're probably some of my favorite innovations that we've done or criteria. That's really, really cool. I mean, I think I think the collaboration is such an important part of that because I've been a Formula One fan my entire life. And when you look at high-level sport... What team? Let's see what team. Might have to be Red Bull. Technically, actually, I'll be, I'll be honest, Ferrari has always been my team because I grew up... I, I grew up a Schumacher fan because that was I was a kid and like I grew up watching him. And so I had posters on my wall. I was lucky enough um, when I was in high school, I got to sit in his 2004 car and wear his helmet. And I was... I'm the size where I can fit in it. And it was just a dream. You could fit in it. I don't think I could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could have been a, a Formula One driver. Like that would have been my dream as a kid because I'm like the perfect body shape for it and everything. So that sport's always been fascinating. But what I, what I always noticed about the sport is that the technology and everything that's brought by the brightest minds in that sport come down to the rest of society. And that's where I think collaboration is so important across like Sale GP and the Impact League and all these other sports is that you're taking the brightest minds in the world. And yes, they're applying it to sport, but they can also apply it to so many other things. And then, yeah, and consumers generally will follow what professionals are doing and whatever they're doing. So if you remove ties from your boat, most likely the guy at the you know yacht club, local yacht club is going to be like, well, CLGP is doing this, so we're going to stop it too. And that's where you can just further that impact. And that's where I think sport has such a huge pedestal to be able to share that kind of stuff that you know, it's, it's almost unmatched. And so the fact that you guys have started this impact league to be able to encourage that and spread it. I mean, I hope it goes to all the other sports because it's, it's huge. I hope it does too, but you're right. I always say, you know, if athletes and sport act differently, fans will follow. I mean, we know mm-hmm. they will. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of our responsibility and we don't always get it right, but let's try and let's look mm-hmm. at little things that we can do and change. And 
And athletes talk about the highs and lows, what they've learned. I do think athlete activism is, is more. I think athletes were a little bit scared before to talk and put their kind of, you know, neck on the line. But look at all the amazing kind of work that's happened recently mm-hmm. across sport. You've got Marcus Rashford, obviously, in the UK around lockdown, really kind of standing up for what he thinks and getting, you know, lobbying for policy for change which affected thousands of school children who wouldn't have got any school meals. I mean, there's just a lot, you know, Lewis Hamilton, I think athletes feel more confident now that they're in a safer place. And I think the media are supporting them more to try and to engage their fans and and talk openly about it. And I suppose that's what the Impact League gives them a format as well. So they're learning. So we try to help them learn. If they don't know, we're here as a support system. So educate them as well on why should you eat less meat? I think, again, then they're educated and then they can feel, they can talk and understand it and be able to engage their fans better. Yeah. Do you think there's a level of support that comes through transparency too? I've been seeing a lot more that if you're kind of opened as a brand, as far as like, hey, look, we're not perfect, but here's what we're doing. And we're going to let, we're going to open the doors. We're going to let you in. Let's start the conversation more so than, hey, all this happens behind closed doors and we're doing great things. Yeah, exactly. You've got to be transparent and it's cheesy, but it is a journey. And you have to say that, look, this is where we're trying to get to. And this is what we're doing, but we're not going to get it always right. But we are trying. And yeah, you've got to be transparent. If you learn something and that didn't work, own it, learn it, move Mm -hmm. on. Yeah, I think that's that's critical now. And consumers expect us to to do something, but you have to be transparent, honest about what you're doing. And yeah, don't over exaggerate. I think we, Mm -hmm. we feel very strongly, you've got to have your house in order before you ever kind of go in and really kind of go out there and communicate too hard. So you've got to have credibility and accountability Mm -hmm. is really important. Definitely. And so how's the growth been for sail GP just as a sport? I mean, I, I grew up sailing also. So I, of course, have followed Sail GP, but how's it been for just people who don't sail? Well, that's who we're trying to get to. So I feel like Sail GP's grown amazingly because it's been tricky. You know, we, we're in season two. We've had COVID, which obviously has been challenging for sport as a sector. And we're a global sport. So trying to travel and operate events in COVID has been operationally very, very difficult for us to league. So I feel we've done a good start. That's what we're trying to do now. I think, you know, we've got First season we did, it was quite small. Second season, this has been, you know, we're ending in San Francisco. We've had a really solid second season with COVID. We've done it. And now it's really, how do we, I suppose, go outside of sailing? We're trying to engage, like you said, younger fans. We're trying to engage maybe racing fans into sailing who probably wouldn't watch sailing traditionally, but we're slightly different. So I feel that is our big push now is really to, you know, you'll look at our content, you know, it's all YouTube live. We really look at the way that we're communicating, the language we're using, you know, drivers, we call even the, the language we're using about our boats and yeah, you know, the crew on there. That is because we want to kind of engage a new fan. So I don't think, you know, we're not there yet, but I think we've got a good strategy and that's kind of what you'll see from us. And I think we'll learn as we go, but we want to grow the sport and make it better because mm-hmm. we want more people to like sailing, to watch sailing, to engage with us, to even understand what we're doing. You know, that is mm-hmm. success is making sailing better and SailGP being a big kind of accelerator to help do that through all of the different programs that we have. Definitely. And I, I think you guys communicate it really well of, you know, how difficult the sport is. I think people just see the boats foiling. And they're like, well, isn't that great? They just turn left around the mark or they're tacking this way. And, you know, I think it's it's been communicated on, you know, all the streaming that these are the best sailors in the world and it is not easy to do this. Oh, and they're crashing. Definitely. And I think that adds to a little bit of the excitement of the sport for sure, that they really are sailing right on the edge. How's the adoption been from the sailing community? I mean, you have the best sailors in the world doing it. Are they excited about it too? I mean, because normally it's like you gear up for the America's Cup, you have the Olympics, and then you have your worlds every year in whatever boat class you're in. But this is very much a new format. The the athletes, we call them, not sailors again. Um, They are, (laughs) yeah, again, back to language and relating and, and growing the sport. You know, watch our press conferences. I'm sure you've done some, but they are so excited to be part of this because, like you said, they're proving they're the best sailor and they have got massive energy about the concept and what we're trying to achieve. They are behind it and they they want it to work. And you can feel that the way we work with them. We're all in it together to make the sport better. And they feel that SailGP is really approaching it in the right way. So the athletes very much unbelievably excited and competitive around the format. And I think the traditional sailing audience, they've embraced us as, as much as they can. And I think they they see that we're trying to make it better. We're slightly different, but we're still, you know, a great racing product. So I feel like we've got, you know, really some some solid fan base that really kind of try and help us. And 
I think World Sailing and the other sailing organizations have supported us too. And I think change and progress is good and everyone sees that. Every sport is is doing this. Every sport is trying to challenge it. And I think mm-hmm. sailing, you know, we're probably one of the first people to, to, to really kind of fast track it. And so maybe at the beginning, I wasn't around at the beginning, but I think maybe people didn't really understand it. But now they see that we've got a great product. We're trying, we've got great programs, great sustainability. And so I think they're happy to have us part of the sailing family and watch this space of what's next. Definitely. Well, and tell me a little bit about the youth side of things too, because I think that's a thing that it kind of gets briefly mentioned, but I think is hugely important. I mean, getting the young athletes actually involved in sailing. Tell me a little bit about how that kind of fits into the bigger picture. Yeah. So when we say better sport, kind of that's elite and grassroots level. So when we say we want to make the sport better, that is our female athletes on the boat. So obviously getting that inclusive kind of F50 would be an amazing vision for us, but it's really important you start at grassroots. So We've got a brilliant program called Inspire, which we run at every single event, and we engage our local communities in trying to educate them on sailing. So there's different parts to it. So everything from there's climate kind of, we try and make them climate um, champions. So we have a whole climate change. It's like in these containers, they're amazing at site, like an immersive experience. And we say, do you understand what power by nature is, what clean energy is, why climate change the problem? So we always say we're trying to build the climate advocates of tomorrow using our community program. Then we get them to try, get on the water, understand, you know, people probably have never, you know, sailed or even been on the water. We, we try to get obviously people from diverse backgrounds in the local kind of communities that we're in not from just traditional sailing clubs that's kind of Mm -hmm. not what we want to do and we get them on the water and then the other pillar is really racing so then we look at local kind of talent and we try to get them racing and you'll see the images of our inspire boats and then the f50s so these inspired in their wasps are flying Mm -hmm. and you've got a huge f50 flying behind and that's the next generation and they're inspired by seeing this incredible elite competition and we're giving them the opportunity to kind of showcase their talents, to meet their heroes, you know, and really kind of progress their careers. So it is such a great program. And I think we've got some amazing stories of people's lives that either we've given opportunities to or who've actually come to work at SailGP. So they've gone wow. through Inspire and then they've, they've kind of fallen in love with sailing. And, you know, we've, we've taken them into the organization or they've ended up working in sailing or it's inspired them to do something differently. So our goal is to get about 10,000 young people the next few years through Inspire. But it's not about numbers. It's about kind of quality and obviously who, who we're getting on the water. But yeah, that community engagement is very important for us as a league. That's really, really cool. I mean, yeah, taking young athletes and being able to show them so much more of also their impact that they can have as athletes. I mean, I think we've been so singularly focused on your sport is your sport, but you know, having a a bigger platform to be able to share with the world what you're doing, what you believe in and who you are as a person, I think is huge. And I think, you know, social media, I think has, has kind of encouraged that because it's kind of opened the door for people to just communicate with their fans in, in such an interesting way. Definitely. What's kind of the goals for next year for sale GP as you guys kind of continue to grow? We're going to save the world. No, we have big (laughs) goals and ambitions this season. Really it's building on the impact league. So we've got some big ideas about what we're going to do and that inspiring other sports, kind of me going out and trying to, you know, get other sports to adopt the Impact League. That's probably a big part of next season. We have then clean energy. Obviously, we're powered by nature. So there's kind of a real big push within my team to look at marine innovation in clean energy. Mm -hmm. So what is the next foiling chase boat? Can we design it? What can we do? You know, what technology in our events how are we powering our events is there new technology that we can bring to market in that so there's quite a lot in clean energy there's little things like all of our race marks will be electric next year which doesn't sound big but it is because it saves container space it saves boats towing them out it saves their solar powered now so they're little wins but big because we could inspire like you said the sailing world to take the marks you know mark set bot to have electric marks like we do that's kind of clean energy And then there is something really exciting that we're working on is what we do to kind of get more female athletes involved. So what can we do to kind of get them on the F50s, give them more experience? Because you've probably seen, but in Cadiz this season was the first time we've ever had a female athlete on an F50 and Mm -hmm. hugely proud moment. But now what do we do next? How can we capitalize that? How do we help them get more experience Mm -hmm. and get them on our F50s, get them an inclusive league? So you know, we want to get that right, take our time, find a partner to help do that, really kind of, you know, look at other sports and learn from, you know, what they've done. So, but that will be something, a big development this season is what else we can do. So they're 
three of the big things. There's lots of things we want to do kind of to change mm. the world, obviously, but they're probably three of the biggest ones that we're working on at the moment. That's awesome. And what's your favorite part of this whole process? The Impact League, probably. I just think, well, I'm just passionate about seeing sport being used as a platform for good. You know, overall, like you can see in every conversation we have with our host cities, our commercial partners, they're so excited about purpose. And so that makes me happy and our staff and we hire people and they say to me, the reason they came is because of our purpose agenda and how they want to change the world. I think, of course, that kind of makes me very proud. But the Impact League is a real tangible example, I think, that is relatable and something that we can take. And you can take it outside sport. A business could have an Impact League right, mm-hmm. to help employee engagement and to help their design teams or whatever be more sustainable. That model is one of my proudest kind of, you know, moments and one of the things that I really kind of want to drive forward. But just having sustainability in sport and being brave and using your platform for good and seeing other sports, it makes me really happy when you hear about all these other sports, doing more, hiring teams, thinking about their footprint. That's great for all of us. And that shows mm-hmm. that, you know, we're turning the tide and, and sport is going to really help climate change. Sport and fashion, obviously, are the two sectors that really mm-hmm. we've identified that can help kind of engage consumers. And we can talk to an audience way quicker and relatable than science, news, politicians. So, yeah, I think sport is really, really driving. And I think we're kind of at the cusp of really all sports using it. So, mm-hmm. And what's kind of been your biggest challenge to overcome throughout your career up to this point has it been like taking on the i mean because you know coming up with impact league and actually organizing and making it successful i mean that's that's a challenge in and of itself so what's kind of been has that been one of the biggest hurdles of your career no no i think you can look at hurdles or you can look at opportunities and i suppose i'm the kind of person that there is always challenges in sport you know there's always challenges about being a woman in sport or about thinking about sustainability and the commercial aspects of sport. But I think you need to turn them into opportunities and then think about solutions and then drive that forward. So I think, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I've had massive challenges in my career. It's always been, right, what is the problem? How can we solve it? And I've been lucky to work at really progressive places that, that try things differently. You know, they don't mm-hmm. just go, oh, we, you know, we can't do that. So we've always kind of overcome those challenges into opportunities. So I think, yeah, it's a great question, but I've never really thought that, but. Well, when you're, when you're faced with a challenge, when you're faced with one, I mean, what's your kind of first step? I mean, I mean, some people, they like to kind of close themselves in a room and go, okay, let me think for like two days. And then, you know, let's, let's talk to the team. Do you immediately like jump with the team? What's kind of your process of how you like to solve challenges? Yeah, I'm such a positive person, as you can tell. So I'm always Mm. like, we can do this, right? It's that like visualizing this we solve. Mm-hmm. This is something that must be a solution. And I think, yeah, getting the right people involved, brainstorming, kind of learning who else has done this, what can we learn from? And then, yeah, getting, you know, I have an amazing team, getting all of our brilliant brains together and collaborating and just trying to solve the problem, coming up with wacky ideas because no idea is a bad idea. I always think just yeah. put it all down and then something good will happen and something will come up. So that's probably my approach is always stay positive and yeah get great minds and then just be solutions orientated right Mm -hmm. you know it might not hit you in the face at the time but just yeah just always think there must be a solution for this yeah and and trust in the process that'll it'll develop i mean you just because you have an idea there doesn't mean you're not going to get to point b eventually yeah you just it's it's stepping stones to kind of get there What's your hope for the future of, I mean, just the sustainability movement as a whole? I mean, where where do you kind of see the focus being? I mean, I, I know it's been on plastic. I know it's been on energy. Um, do you think it's going to progressively go that way? Do you think there's going to be other factors going into it? I know food is starting to pop up, um, water quality, stuff like that. I think I kind of want sustainability not to be sustainability. I want to kind of do myself out of a job, to be honest. I think my vision, thinking really big, is that everyone understands it's how they need to act. So everyone has to change. And they all kind of understand that it's all of our responsibility to do that. So we shouldn't have a sustainability team. It should be embedded in the way that we operate really in the future. Hopefully it shouldn't sit in one team and feel like it's that responsibility. But yeah, I think like you said, every, everyone is different. So, you know, everyone, you know, we, we do a great thing here at CLGP, which actually has been really good way of engaging fans called the climate positive benefit. So what we do is we try to get, we try to educate our staff and they fill in kind of a questionnaire on their life, not their work life, their personal life. And then they get a carbon calculator pops out their footprint. 
it kind of shows them how it's broken down and where you they you know obviously what recommended changes we can make and it could be they need to change their car or you know who's their kind of power supplier or they eat too much meat and it gives people little things to look at work on and then obviously the next season they do it again and then they look at their, their benefit they look at their footprint and if it's reduced so I think it's really people just understanding and owning it. Like everyone has a footprint and you all need to make some changes. We're all different about what the changes can be. And it's Mm -hmm. not about living plastic free or being a hippie or, you know, Mm -hmm. never buying clothes again. It's small changes all add up, but everyone Mm -hmm. needs to understand it's in everyone's best interest. It's everyone's responsibility. There's still so many kind of climate deniers, even with friends or family, you sit and you go, Mm -hmm. how can I be sitting here trying to explain Mm -hmm. this to you? Like it is scary. So I think mm-hmm. that whole kind of big movement around everyone understands it and has has made some change, even if it's just no plastic, right? It's a change. Mm-hmm. That's that's a win for mm-hmm. us and that kind of mindset shift. Well, and I think a lot of people have taken the, I guess, approach of, you know, if I'm going to be more sustainable in my mindset or in my lifestyle that I do have to live like a hippie, get rid of everything and, you know, do that. And it's like, no, 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 that it's step back, maybe think about what you're going to do next. Think about the purchase that you're going to make. Is it going to last a long time? I mean, for me, I chose sustainable goat as like the name of the podcast, but to me, resiliency is the word. It's how do you make a more resilient either product, lifestyle, whatever it is. Because if you're, you buy a sustainable piece of clothing and you replace it in a year, it's not actually serving the purpose. You want it to be able to last a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think sustainability, again, it's like doing things differently. Mm-hmm. You know, just thinking things through and doing them differently, which doesn't mean doing them badly. It's just like mm-hmm. we need to kind of adapt the way we think. I think, like you said, and everyone's different. They're all on different journeys. But I think there's a point now where everyone needs to understand it. And then in jobs like us, it's slightly scary sometimes when you see the statistics or you, you understand the reality. But I always say, you know, got to keep hopeful, got to mm-hmm. keep hopeful and keep kind of focusing on what you can do, what's in your remit, your ecosystem, like sales GP, what can we do? And just focus on that and do it. Don't get overwhelmed. You know, you hear people saying, oh, it won't make a difference if I do that. Yes, it will. Like Mm -hmm. every small change adds up. And I think, yeah, that kind of hopeful outlook of small changes we need. Yeah. Sometimes when people say like, Hey, if I, if I change some things, you know, it won't, it won't make a big difference if I do it. And you know, the best, the best way I kind of explain it is more of an economic way is look, when it used to be you raise a bunch of money from one person in order to make your dream a reality or your sales and all that. And now it's how do you get a little bit from everybody to help your dream become a reality? So it's, it's not necessarily like every single person does matter because if they do little things now, big impact is made. Whereas I think, yeah, so much, so much of it was always communicated that, you know, the big people have to do it. And then the little people then get like the little people, I mean, by like you're smaller down on the food chain of, you know, the impact you think you can make. And it's actually flipping it completely on its head. It's thinking differently and going, okay, if we all do little things now, big effect. Yeah, mm-hmm. the power of consumer is key. And like we are changing, you know, the way brands operate because I think, you know, consumers expect more. We are, you know, all of the research around they're expecting brands to be more sustainable. Mm-hmm. They're choosing sustainable brands. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, that power, you think, oh, it doesn't matter if I choose that plastic free brand. Mm-hmm. Well, it does because if you do it, more people do it, you inspire your friends, you educate them. And and like you said, it's kind of, it is like, it's a different, it's like a movement nowadays, which is mm-hmm. different, like you said, from, from how it was positioned before. But I think people, especially young people, thank mm-hmm. goodness, they are very sustainably minded mm-hmm. compared to, I suppose, my generation. They're adopters of the journey. Thank goodness. Yeah, definitely. Do you remember your first consciously sustainable purchase that you made in your life? That is a brilliant question. My first ever. I mean, that is, yeah, that's a question that I don't know. Hopefully it was when I was very young. And so I can't remember. I really hope it was. But I suppose back in the day, we thought we're making sustainable. That's the thing with sustainability. You Mm -hmm. think you're making a decision. You look back Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, that wasn't very sustainable. So it's like evolving that decision. But I think the big one I want to do is I don't have an electric car and I really want one. And that to Mm -hmm. me is in my head and it's like burning in my head. I got to do it. And I think that will be a big kind of decision and statement for me. Obviously, I make I make decisions and, and purchasing as I go. I have two young kids and a dog. And so like then it's complex. You try to be sustainable in that kind of way. You learn about like what's sustainable dog food or sustainable dog toys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always educating yourself. And I think, again, no one's perfect. And we all just need to think differently, like I said, another way. And then try to make those changes in that point of your life. So 
I can't think of the first time, but I think the next one for me will be the electric car. And I just really want that industry to get, you know, more kind of accessible for us all to be able to have those cars and have more sustainable travel mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been having interesting conversations with a friend of mine on kind of electrification of everything. And the interesting part that I've been kind of trying to discover more of and educate myself more on is, for example, if you were to buy if an electric vehicle versus an ICE vehicle, it will take 40,000 miles for the electric vehicle to actually be more sustainable than the other one because of the carbon footprint of all the harvesting of the batteries, the supply chain of their the kids and the nickel and the cobalt and the mine, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, even in our business. So sometimes you Mm -hmm. like, you've got a sustainable innovation, but then it takes up a container Mm -hmm. and you're like, so I've got another container to ship around the world. So I think again, Mm -hmm. it's like, you have to try to make the most conscious decision for you. And again, no judgment. Like you like, like you said, like if you decide not to have an electric car, I never judge you. But for me, I feel like that's something Mm -hmm. I want to do, but you're right. And this is the whole problem with sustainability. Sometimes it confuses Mm -hmm. people. And yep. they, they're trying to be good because everyone wants to be a good person, but then it yep. is, you know, confusing and hard. And yeah, I think, yeah, we need to give more tools and like Bibles and kind of cons- brands like need to explain, like you said, but technology and science is evolving. Yeah. Because I've always been fascinated with what is the true opportunity cost of something like from the, from the production to the delivery to the, what is that full picture looking like? So that way people can you better make decisions at just whatever they want. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's always going to be an opportunity cost to everything. Yeah, I think products are getting better at giving more transparency mm-hmm. about supply chains. But like you said, not that that's where we would like to get to. But I think some products are allowing you to make a better decision based on the information Definitely. you're getting. You know, So hopefully like at point of purchase, you kind of go, okay, right, that's why I'm going to buy this. But then you get into the point of people having miscommunication. And obviously, it's great. Like, mm-hmm. we've got legislation and try to control that. So consumers aren't being told wrong information. It's giving us the right tools to say, right, I'll make that decision. I'll change that behavior, making it easy for them. I think the biggest misconception is sustainability can be beautiful, efficient, design. Like, it can be. And it actually sometimes is, I always think. So it's that mindset, mm-hmm. again, of, you know, being sustainable isn't your hippie. It's can. That's why you mm-hmm. get sports stars and celebrities and normal people to showcase it and make beautiful mm-hmm. products and fashion are doing quite a good job in that like you said trying mm-hmm. to inspire that definitely yeah it's been kind of an evolving process and I, I i went to a talk a while ago where we were talking about the regenerative organic certification for food and some of the people that were in the room were some of the original people that came up with the organic certification and we're sitting there, they're talking back and forth. I'm just sitting there listening, looking back and forth. And these guys go, look, we love regenerative organic. Like it makes total sense, but you're going to confuse the consumer. They're still confused about organic. They don't know what um, organic or, is. Yeah. Now you're doing yeah, it second. Ex- yeah. ex- exactly. And, and it's, it comes down to what is the messaging and how can it be an easily digestible, not confusing? Because when it's confusing, people just go back to what's comfortable and what's safe. Yeah. Yeah. They go back and, to what they know. And that's what I think is kind of a huge challenge for the industry kind of going forward is really how do you how do you communicate it in a clear way that people can go, okay, I get it. Good. Let's do it. And I want to make that decision. And I know the good impact it's going to have. So if I do one thing, like what will that achieve? And I think, again, people quite like to see that. And it's quite untangible sometimes to be able to do that. That's why things like this climate positive benefit. So when you see your carbon footprint, you can go, oh, my Mm -hmm. goodness, I didn't realize that. And you only answer like 20 questions and it kind of obviously, you know, looks at the average footprint and kind of makes estimations. But that's really helpful and it gives you the tools to go, mm-hmm. right, OK, this is where I should start, because otherwise it's overwhelming. Like you said, too many decisions, too much to do. Definitely. So final question, where's your favorite place to enjoy nature? I'm going to have to say Scotland. I'm sorry. I'm Scottish. <laughs> I know. Cheesy answer. Um <laughs> I've got two answers here. I'm going to say I'm going to say Scotland because it's where I grew up. And I kind of think I came to LGP because my grandfather, who's one of a very special person to me, was a fisherman. And so I kind Mm of I grew up as a child around sea. And yeah, I just love being outside. It just just makes my me happy, my soul happy. You know, being by the water, to be honest, um, which is mm-hmm. pretty cold in Scotland. So isn't this? Yeah, is not I was going to say, wh- very cold. where in Scotland? Where where North is this Scotland. place in Scotland? So like the north, it's like uh, yeah, the Murray first. So you, it, it's called Gardenstown. You will never know where that is, but it's like <laughs> a tiny fishing village up the north of North Sea on the North Sea. So I would say that, and actually, where I really love being at one with nature is New Zealand. So which is very like Scotland, actually. 
as you do when you're traveling when you're younger we went to the north and south island and I suppose just the, the nature in New Zealand from your glaciers to your kind of albatross to your you know it was just I suppose the vast array of different kind of natural habitats that you got to see and the beauty of it and the wonder you just go how is there a glacier in this country and that I just yeah New Zealand probably was is a beautiful country and just yeah rich in you know experiences and and I felt very privileged to go there so probably they're my my two favorite by the sea in freezing in Scotland and then in New Zealand obviously <laughs> with this massive array of brilliant things to experience that's awesome I love where's that. your favorite place you can't ask me and then not answer too where's your favorite place? <laughs> so I my favorite place I was lucky enough to grow up uh, next to the beach in California and for me I grew up across the street from redwood forest and oh, so, definitely. oh gosh, yeah, you, that's a way better answer than me. For oh no, 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 they're 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 all different. It's where you kind of connect with nature. I mean, honestly, like it's the middle of the redwood forest when you're when you're there and you're just amidst all these trees, river going by, greenery. I mean, it's just it's stunning. It's quiet. It's peaceful. But you also are just so immersed in it. But then the other places, it's unfortunately changed so much. But it was about ten miles north of kind of like the downtown area of where I grew up, and it's just right this beautiful cliff and then you can hike down like a little mountain onto the beach and you go through this tunnel and there it opens up to a whole nother beach and then there's a rock out on the on the point and it's just it's a stunning stunning place to be and it was it gets windy but it is it was incredible and it used to be that nobody would be there and so you'd pretty much just get the whole place to yourself all the time and it was great but public found out about it Probably found out, yeah. No, that sounds beautiful. I have to look them up. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, beautiful. But like you said, I think it's just being outdoors. And now I'm a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm really conscious of like my kids not watching TV all the time and actually going for a dog walk and getting them to like, yeah, don't lose that connection with you know the world we live in and nature. And I do think, yeah, we've got a, uh, and that helps. I think COVID helped when people had to go outside mm-hmm. for walks. And they reconnected and they realized that that was so important for their mental health, for their physical mm-hmm. health, and actually how the fragility of it, you know. And mm-hmm. so I think that has, I, I think I'm, I'm hoping, staying hopeful that that has reconnected people back to nature. So, and, and I'm very conscious to make my kids do forest school and, um, yeah. you know, go to the freezing cold beach in Scotland, the poor things. But it is important that they really appreciate it and enjoy it. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for just taking the time to talk and tell me all about CLGP and the Impact League. I'm so excited to see what happens in the future with you guys, especially season three and onwards. And I just think it's going to keep growing and your impact has been great. Uh, Well, thanks for being a fan. And yeah, watch the space. We're going to keep going and uh, be brave, racing for the future, trying to challenge stuff. So yeah, hopefully it will just go from strength to strength. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Check out SailGP on their site, social media, and check out their YouTube to see some of the races behind the scenes and the action from season two and season one. If you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support goes a long way, and the more the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.